Hello, my name is Chris Fett and welcome to Two Defeats from a Crisis on Saturday at 3. On this episode, we'll be looking back on Rangers 4-2 win over Motherwell at Firth Park in the league. And joining me to do this is Dave. Dave, just you and I again, mate. Yep, dream team, mate. That's us again. It's, uh, well, you're, you're Mr. Positive at the moment. That's your sort of... In a, it's, that's your in terms. That's your face turn gimmick. I'm just waiting for you to turn back. I'm sure it'll come. I'm sure it'll come. So, uh, I, um, I said it was a fairly, I, I would say straightforward one, but there was some troubling moments and within the game. But on the face of it, it was four two going on seven two. Really, we missed quite a few chances. Completely dominant, really. After that third goal uh, that Cantwell scored, it, it was just a case of how many can we get. Typical Rangers under Beal, a little bit toothless, but overall I'm not going to be too critical of this performance, although I don't think it was a great performance again. The the band the bandwagon just keeps rolling on Dave with just three points every week now, and it's it's that that's that has to be the main thing. Aye, that's where we are now. I said on Twitter at the weekend, we've reached a point now, same as Celtic, where We've hit a kind of baseline of form, which is where we should be in this climate of Scottish football in this league, where we shouldn't be losing games and we shouldn't be dropping too many points. See now with five subs and VAR, the dice is loaded in favour of uh, clubs with better resources. So uh, for us, don't I talk about them too much, but for us, we can bring on five quality players to force the issue if we need to, and we could afford to swap out. The first half for me with three passengers, Lindstrom, Sakala and Cholak We could have took them off at half time And still had two subs left Teams like Motherwell are just not going to cope with it For, for by their tactics and set up And whatever the general level of quality The way it's set up now We should be aiming to win every single game Every season Realistically, you've got to concede Probably that you won't win two of them Parkhead will be difficult But every other game for us has got to be set up now As an absolute possibility to win it It's at the point now where This season's probably gone as we've said Next season, it will come down to all firms because neither of the two should drop points elsewhere. Yeah, you've seen that both like they went, they went behind, and in the group chat, we were all saying it's just a matter of time, and sure enough, because we know how it goes, and it's not to praise them or anything like that. You just know, supporting yeah, one right. of these two clubs, we're going to come back from behind, or we're the same as us. I'm, I'm still, I'm still not quite there yet. With that level of confidence with us in terms of we go a goal behind, you know we're going to come back. Albeit we have shown that that is the case because we're, we're having to do it more often than not. But I'm still every time we go behind, I'm like, oh, here we go. But yet, the, I think I I think it builds twenty nineteen twenty games now. I think we must have been behind in at least six or seven aye, at yeah. some point in the match. Mm-hmm. Ideally, I'd rather not do that, but. Y- I'm at a point now where I know we're going to create chances. So as long as we're doing that, as I say, Bill's established that baseline now where the chance creation's good and we've got enough quality that somebody will take one. But uh, you, raised a, you raised an interesting point as well, something that I wasn't quite prepared for before we started recording tonight, um, but I'll bring it up anyway. You look at Rangers did indeed actually make five subs and you, you mentioned three players, Lundstrom, Sakala and Cholak, uh, who were particularly poor in that first half. They, they did eventually come off. But if you look at all the players that came off, you had Rudvan Yilmaz, Turkish international player, £5 million. He came off of Scott Arfield, who has played Premier League football, who has won 55 Rangers, won a Scottish Cup Rangers and played in a European final. John Lundstrom, a Premier League footballer, well, <laughs> in inverted brackets, um, he came off for John Souter, a Scottish internationalist. Uh, Todd Cantwell, again, Premier League footballer, he comes off for Glenn Kamara, a guy who won 55, a guy who won the Scottish Cup, a guy who started the Europa League final. Fashion Sakala, Zambian internationalist, um, again, he won... The Scottish Cup has played a part in the Europa League final. He comes off for Malik Tillman, a highly rated Bayern Munich youngster. And you have Antonio Cholak, who came off, a guy who's played Champions League football, won numerous titles around the continent. He comes off for Rangers record goalscorer and Alfredo Morelos. Uh, the, the quality, uh, the golfing quality of what Rangers can bring on and, and indeed Celtic can bring on compared to the rest of the league, it is now an uneven playing field. All things aren't equal. When we can bring, I'm not saying Arfield, Suter, Kamara, Tillman, Morelos are like the best players in the world, of course not. But in, in comparison to what Motherwell can bring on, it's the 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 gap is huge, and there maybe has to be an argument now that this five rule, uh, five sub rule, is a bit of a nonsense, and it needs to be discarded because I'm not fan of it myself, and yeah, it benefits my team, but 
it's I just I, I don't know what it is, David. I can't really articulate it. And I know it's a really kind of lazy thing to say. I'm just not a fan of it and no giving any substance behind it. But I genuinely am just not a fan of it. I think it breaks up the game a wee bit. And it's as you say, uh, if you I'm not interested in any other team, but I totally get their gripe about it. We're bringing on these international players that have played in European finals and won trophies and played Premier League football and all that, and then they're bringing on a guy for non-league football in England. Aye, exactly. So I'm not inclined to see it from other teams' perspectives for the most part, right? They generally don't see it for yours. There's a bit of animosity there. Fuck them, basically. But I do sometimes look at it and go, right, Motherwell, as you say, I bring on guys for non-league. Guys on a couple hundred pound a week. Fucking get the highest level they'll get somebody playing in League One, maybe, and he'll be their superstar until he goes back down. So you do go, fucking hell, man. It's just a golfing. You, it must be for the guys. As you say, you turn around and you go, right, I've just been run ragged by Fashion Sakala, an international who's played at the last stage of European competition. Oh, great, here comes Scott Arfield, a wee arsehole who's going to run me ragged and make my life a fucking misery for 20 minutes. Because no. Scott Arfield just seems to thrive on torturing people in that way. It's, it must be demoralising. But for me, I, I've not really thought it through from the perspective of, of anybody else bar Rangers. And week to week, Games that we're still, as much as we're winning and we're creating chances, our games are still tighter than I would like them to be. I think everybody's always going to say that. Celtic are a wee bit more in cruise control than us. I want to know that, as it was, two each with half an hour left, that we can turn the screw. So I quite like five subs for that reason, but I do agree and concede that the bigger picture might be that over the season, that's going to mean it comes down just to the four games, and that might play against us because unfortunately where we are the new I don't really want to get into it but they've got superior resources well, so if they win the game where they were chasing the game and they brought on Jota uh, Jackie Marcus and Adam Moy you know what I mean aye exactly so until we can level that playing field it, it probably will play against us but for the most part I'm a fan of it what, what I like about it is a neutral when I watch other leagues and other games is it keeps the game alive mate. if the teams are approximately equal the, the energy doesn't sap out the game at the 70th minute so I'm kind of still in favour of it, but I do, I do see your point that it is going to just create a golfing class. For me, the remedy is not to cancel five subs in Scotland. It's for Rangers to get out of this league into a better one. That's my kind of so, view of that. But that's so, a bigger picture, isn't it? The longer term argument, though. Um, it's, well, we all, we all think Scottish football, what is the solution? Sometimes the solution could be the most obvious thing, and, they'll, and uh, the pills of BDSFA will... We'll, we'll look at the least obvious thing and go with that. It's, it just remains to be seen what is the way forward with that. But to be honest, as much as I'm not a fan of it, I think it's here to stay because player welfare seems to be high on the agenda of all the football and authorities, whether it's UEFA, FIFA, etc. So um, I do think it is here to, say, here to stay. Um, but it's going, and, to, it's going to widen the uh, gap and all because you've got guys now like, let me think, maybe Arfield, right? See if it was three subs. And we offered him a deal in the summer. He might get a deal from Falkirk, tug on the heartstrings. He might get another wee couple of months down south. But he knows, and get, get, get Kamara, right, there's a good example. Kamara signed this new deal. Now, he's not in the first team every week. And time's gone by with three subs. He'd have been looking to move to get more game time. But we know now, and he knows, he's going to get 20, 25 starts. And mm. probably the same again in sub appearances. So... Guys can rack up, you can now rack up 40, 50 appearances a season as a, as, as basically a squad level player. Well, Scott Wright will probably pick up something in the region of 25, 30 appearances. That's a good return. 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, that was a solid, solid season. So he's probably going to think, I'll just sit tight, I'll get enough game time and I don't need to go down to England to try and get a first team start. But what that means is Arfield and Wright now are at Rangers. And that means they're no at Hearts, they're no at Hibs, so they're no helping these clubs out. So the, the quality is gravitating more towards us because of the increased game time and widening the gap even further. So I do, I do think that's a point that Suter, for instance, Suter's probably still third choice, but he's better being our third choice because he'll still get the 30 starts than he is at Hearts. Well, well 30 well, starts. He's, he's had two. a bit ambitious. Aye, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I know. If he gets two starts, well, let's not get ahead of us. But you, you get the general point, notwithstanding his sort of decrepitude. 
Yeah. Um, let's just go straight into the kind of the game. We'll start with the Rangers uh, lineup. Um, we'll come to the protest just before we got the reaction, but we'll start with the lineup anyway. McGregor, Tavernier, Golson, Davis, Yilmaz. Yilmaz in for Barisic, who uh, I believe is actually back in Croatia, as his wife is about to give birth, which I find a wee bit odd. Like, I'm not going to get into a big chat about it, but I find a wee bit odd that she's not going to give birth in Scotland, but here we are. Um, by the way, that's no, don't, I don't want any letters or anything like that. That's not criticism, I just, it's just an observation. Um, Lundstrom, Jack, Antwell, Kent, Zakala, Cholak. Um, big news coming out of this, other than Barisic uh, on away on uh, father duties, as Nico Raskin has obviously picked up the Rangers curse. Um, he's out for a couple of weeks, hopefully we'll be back after the international break. Um, so for me, Dave, the only real surprise really was, you could say Lundstrom instead of Kamara, but we've seen the Kamara-Jack partnership be quite mundane. Not to say that the Lundstrom-Jack partnership's any better, but for me, the big surprise was Cholak kept his place uh, ahead of Morelos. Um, so I wouldn't say I was disappointed with it. I think this is the sort of game that Cholak should thrive on. We'll come to his individual performance later on in the podcast, but um, I wasn't too worried or too annoyed if, if at all, by the, by the start of 11, what about yourself, Dave? Nah, we're at a point now where we've got enough bodies back fit. The squad is is playing well for the most part. I still think it's got levels, but there's nobody who's banging out a form. There's nobody who's really stinking it out regularly. And it's nice to be in a position where you can kind of debate the first 11 and have actual preferences and choices as opposed to, well, it's got to be him. Because mm, yeah. there's nobody else. So. Yeah. Well, I, I do think that that is the case with Morelos over Cholak, but as I said, we will come on to that. I do want to have a wee discussion about that, probably towards the end. So before the game began, Dave, um, there was protests in the stand um, aimed at Ross Wilson and Stuart Robertson. It was the image that everyone sees on Twitter with the kind of no sign over their face. Uh, these uh, images, these pictures, or these sort of kind of, I don't know what you call them, leaflet types. Um, there must be like a wee A5 sized poster that the fans could have uh, held up. They were on every seat in the Motherwell away stand. And it was it was uh, before the players came out and as the players came out, it was held up by, I've got to say, the vast majority. Minimum 80%. Minimum, probably more. I, I think that's been charitable. Or, yeah. or being being a bit conservative. Yeah, and this is now my, my fear with us. We will be doing a podcast, a more in depth look in this, uh, a deeper dive on kind of the the Wilson Robertson protest. But my fear always was they won't know about it because I don't think it's loud enough. I think they're in no doubt now the feelings of the Rangers fans because that was a pretty visible sight and that was a pretty damning sight. And I'm not going to get into the the speculation of what Stuart Robertson's reaction was because my opinion on that, if you've seen it, um, apparently he, he called the fans knobheads. I, I don't actually believe he did. He could have called us any manner of things. You would actually have to be an absolute expert to to, <laughs> to decode that one. So I'm not going to accuse him of that, even though I did say I, I, I was presenting a fact there that that is what the accusation is. I'm not saying that that is what he said. So one thing I'm in no doubt about is he now knows exactly how uh, guys like me and you do feel I see for me there's three there's three sort of groups I, I don't really want to get too deep into the board but there's three groups there's the there's the Twitter fan base which is its own thing and can be a bit of an echo chamber and a bit of a bubble sometimes it was the same case we follow follow back in the days with the trust and I think it's the case now that follow follow sorry Twitter is a bit self-perpetuating and I don't think that the views there are shared by the wider fan base which is another group you're kind of non-hardcore general fan as the the second group so you've got twitter fans the general fan guys who go to home games don't really read about the club or pay attention during the week it's a 90 minute thing fair dues and then you've got the core group for me which is sort of the lifeblood of the club is the hardcore away going fan and there are they're a different breed entirely in terms of they are loyalty to the club and how they make their feelings known and i think they're the most important group that they the club need to keep on side but they're the group that have probably suffered most at the hands of this board through various things and if that whole group has turned i call it the core match going fan because for me you get away grounds like livingston where you get 75 percent of stadium you get away grounds like Tynecastle, where you get more but see motherwell there's not a huge amount of tickets it's one stand it's in the central belt so there's huge competition for tickets if you are in that crowd you are the definition of a die-hard match going fan 
somebody who puts their hand in their pocket, is prepared to travel, and is present at grounds that are difficult in a number of respects. If they people have turned against the board, that is the most powerful sign for me that things are going wrong. I, I think everybody in that crowd would have would know who they were, know what the protests were about, and know what they were holding up. It's not something that's been dropped on them. If you did that at Ibrooks or you did that at if the universe did that broom in front, it would get a mixed response. If you did that at Livingston, probably wouldn't be the same. But that's your hardcore, diehard but supporters club fans and they've now turned. If the board don't sit up and take notice now, then I don't know if they will. And, I, and if they don't, I don't think this this ends well with respect to that group of fans and how things play out. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how it goes. And as I said, we will be doing a more in-depth, deeper dive on Ross Wilson and Stuart Robertson's current performance within their respective roles. We will be doing that next week during the international break, so there will be content drawn. So we'll part that just now and we'll come to that next week. Let's get into the game. Uh, so it started the way some games have started under Beal. Uh, a decent enough start, but the sucker punch happens and we go a goal down after three minutes. Uh, Motherwell worked the ball down our left-hand side. Um, it comes out wide, ball comes in. Connor Goldson, a wee bit in no man's land for me, not going to blame him entirely, but he should have been a better position to try and cut that ball going to Kevin Van Veen. It goes to Kevin Van Veen at the back post and he taps it home um, and it's 1-0 to Mullerwell after three minutes. It goes to Vardiv, um, this is what I do want to talk about, uh, and to me, it looked offside and it was given as a goal. Now the line, there's some... There's a lot of debate about that line. Didn't look straight, and we will come on to the 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 goal for Rangers. The Todd Cantwell goal, where obviously something of an identical nature happened. But this one, Dave, I don't think there's any other way I could describe it. It looked offside to me. Um, the the man looked ahead of I think it was Yilmaz, and uh, for some reason the line didn't appear to be horizontally straight. If, if that makes sense. Um, and the goal was given, which I, I just I just don't understand it. And we'll come to obviously Stuart Kettlewell's annoyance at the Rangers goal being given, but I feel it's a wee bit hypocritical that he's annoyed at that, but he fails to mention that they were quite lucky to be given this goal. Uh, I, the VAR thing, we seem to be the only country that's determined to rid ourselves of this. I said earlier on Twitter, it's going to be like a self-football Brexit. The SPFL are going to get rid of VAR, or there's a substantial chance in my view that they will. At the behest of really one agenda, and this is the kind of decision that they'll advance and they'll win people over on the Rangers fan base because you look at that and I looked at it and went, a stick, and no way is that standing. Went into the kitchen, came back out, and Van Veen still celebrating. I thought, how the fuck have they? How the fuck? It, it, it looked, and then they draw the line, and it's Goldson who's kind of backpedalling at the time, and his backs. It probably was borderline, but the technology doesn't do it any favours whatsoever. And again, that played out weird goal because of where they've positioned the cameras, because First Park's got such a weird setup in terms of its stands. The, the cameras are, are essentially, I think they double up as the goal line cameras, which is why you've got the weirdness of the angles. So then you're relying on the technology to draw the lines accurately. It's I, I had the same impact, the same reaction for the, the goal when I looked at Sakala and I thought, fuck, he's offside looking online again. It looked as clear as day to me, but then there's an angle thanks to the wee YouTuber guy, Gogsy, thanks mate, who's filming his own misery, and Sakala looks onside, so it does seem to be a kind of angle thing, but it's, again, Scottish football deciding to cheap out rather than investing in proper technology. How expensive can this stuff be that clubs find it prohibitively expensive? I generally don't know, but I reckon if you gave me 500 quid, I could rig up a reasonable enough facsimile of VAR for a junior game. Yeah, it's, that does seem to be the issue for me. I don't think the issue is the the way the technology is used. I believe that we are at the lower end of the technology because when you look at a Premier League game, for example, and a decision goes to VAR, you, you, see, you can see the difference. You, you can absolutely see the difference in how they've came to that conclusion because they have obviously multiple different angles. Now, I don't think the PFL will ever get to that stage because of the cost, but surely there is scope for a, 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 an improvement in the middle between where we are and where the EPL are and surely we can sort of kind of get to the middle there because right now it is done in the cheap. Um, I actually slightly disagree with you in one respect that VAR will end up getting flung out. I actually don't think that will happen because I think the referees now absolutely rely on it to referee a game. 
you you seen it the um, uh, Hibs where Kevin uh, Ryan Kent was was uh, absolutely hacked in half. The most obvious penalty you ever see. And well, what had to happen there is VAR had to actually explain to Don Robertson what a penalty was and where it took. <laughs> yeah, so that's yeah. why that took so long. But he I was think, just mystified. I think in, in that particular example, Dave, if see if we don't have VAR, I think Don Robertson gives that penalty. But see now he knows that he if he doesn't get that, VAR's going to pick it up anyway. So VAR's going to catch it. I agree I, with that hundred percent. That shouldn't that shouldn't be the mentality. The mentality should be I'm going to give what I see, and then if I make an ass it, VAR will help me. It shouldn't be. Aye. I'm not sure about that. VAR will pick it up if 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 I'm wrong, and that's the way it's going. To, that trend's going to continue within within the SPFL with the referees. So they will absolutely not allow this to be taken out. And I hope you're right. I, what what gets me though is that Don Robertson, for instance, will give me benefit down and say that he does know what a penalty is, and he, he did remember where he was and what he was meant to be doing. And he then, as you say, he's gone a fucking easy life, man. I'm just going to let this one go to far. And then if I'm if I've no gave it, I've no gave a penalty to Rangers and been corrected. But if he gives a penalty to Rangers and it's disputed or disallowed, he's still going to get a week of heat right. in the papers. So the pressure they operate under is 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 making them think twice and second guess themselves and rely on it. Whereas in England, to, to a much greater extent, I would say, you no, know, there's still pressure. They can kind of just go on with their job and VAR's there as a safety net or VAR's there to just take out the human element, whereas up here it's a sort of different climate. Aye, it's, it's, it's a debate that's going to rumble on, something that we may actually kind of do a, a, a more in-depth look at in the future. It's not something that I particularly enjoy talking about because when it comes to technology, uh, you know, helping referees manage a game, I think uh, Ian Maxwell said that you've got decisions going from 90% correct all the way up to kind of 95 to 98 percent correct because of the introduction of R. It's more often than not, it is black and white. Sometimes there can be that interference from a human needed uh, to give up a, a, an interpretation on something, but they're actually very rare. It just seemed to be this weekend and quite a few matches that they all came together at once, which actually heightens the debate even more and heightens the the feelings amongst all the respective other fans and, and obviously one fan base in particular who are paranoid about it, let's just make no bones about that, but they, they're they actually benefiting from it as well. Um, but as I say, I'm not going to get into it. It's, it's, it's one that there's a lot of mental gymnastics being done with us at the moment, but I think it's here to stay and I'm not particularly bothered that it's here to stay. I actually think it will be good in the long run uh, for, for my club anyway. Um, I think it's unequivocally a good thing for Rangers and any Rangers fan who says differently hasn't taken stock of the evidence and is looking at it's been led by the agenda. 80% of our calls go in our favour and the reason for that is generally speaking, what's that? We've got more of the ball. We've got more of the ball, we're in the box more, our players are better so they're making better decisions and better tackles and it's it's levelling out the human element in Aye. Europe last year, even Europe last year but maybe we didn't have better players but in the league we're getting penalties, decisions, albeit one went against us. It's kind of 80% in our favour. And it's it's maybe not in the favour of other clubs who have started to suddenly experience what a penalty against them feels like. Yeah. And they don't like it for that reason. So I, I, I hope it's here to stay. I, I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So Rangers, uh, obviously back into the game, they equalised in the 23rd minute. John Lundstrom had the ball, was driving at the box. It was absolutely... Um, Clattered into by Slattery, right outside the box, yellow card for Slattery, and then it was a free kick, and Tav dispatched it um, quite expertly. Tav said after the game that he wanted Ryan Jack to stand in the way, or in the view of Liam Kelly, and as the ball was being hit, he wanted Jack to duck, and if you actually look back on it, that's exactly what happened. Um, however, I have to say, I don't. I, I absolutely do not care, but um, if I'm being object, uh, objective here, um, it was a good goal, uh, another quality strike by Tavernier, but Liam Kelly makes a right rip-roaring arse of it. Um, he should not be, if, if that happens to Alan McGregor, I'm calling Alan McGregor out for that. Um, but nonetheless, Rangers in a hole, Tav digs us out the hole again. It's one each, it's a, it's a good free kick, it's a good goal. Um, and if you're a Motherwell fan, which I don't suspect any of them will listen to this, but if you're a Motherwell fan, you've got to be disappointed with that, Dave. I no holding the lead for very long. Stupid tackle, and then your goalie. I, I don't. I never really look at the opposition game, but in hindsight, maybe I. But again, 
the key thing for me as a unashamed Tav fanboy is that Tav once again has stepped up to the plate and dug us at home, as he will do, as we'll see in a couple of minutes. Yep. Um, so we've gone half time, one each, and it's been a fairly poor display. Uh, I don't think that's too controversial to say. Uh, I think the three guys you've mentioned, Lundstrom, Sakala and Cholak, were pretty non-existent. Uh, Lundstrom, I'm not really going to get into that because I've, I've said as much as I possibly could say uh, with John Lundstrom. He had a typical John Lundstrom performance. Sakala was having uh, a Sakala performance, if you will. <laughs> um, and, and Cholak, I just do not know what the game plan here was with Antonio Cholak. If he was asked to do that, then that's on Bill. And if he wasn't asked to do that, uh, his if if he, if he wasn't asked to do what he was doing, then that's on Cholak. Now, what Cholak was doing was he was drifting out to the right um, for some reason and almost doubling up with Sakala. Um, he was then asked to drop deep and bring more people into play, uh, and he was giving the ball away continuously. He never got a sniff. Um, it was a very very weird setup with Antonio Cholak in that first half. Dave, who do you blame, Cholak or Bill? Eh. Uh... I, I, I've quite liked the, the two in front of Kent, the two the, the two one rather than the kind of flat three or the other ways we've set up. I do like it and it has worked. I think you've combined that with a very fucking off day for Cholak, who had quite an itiny performance. I thought like nothing stuck to him. He wasn't holding the ball up. His body position was naive. Players were getting rid of him. He wasn't using his body to protect it. Passing wasn't coming off. I, I had a horror show, a proper horror show. It was at said at the time it was actually one of the worst performances I've ever seen in a Rangers jersey and I've seen that a few times for a few different people it was that bad I thought he just couldn't get in the game the ball wouldn't stick nothing a complete and utter passenger and when you've got your two forwards misfiring so badly that's why we had no traction and very few chances for open play in the first half because nothing was sticking there was no runs getting made and there was absolutely no penetration for the two of them it was a horror show I have to say, I have to stick up for it in a wee bit. If, if Itton was playing on Saturday, oh, I saw it. Hey, hell, why? <laughs> oh, and, and by the way, do you know, we were playing Motherwell this weekend. Did you hear about uh, Cedric Itton at the weekend? No? I hear he's doing very well for himself. Good luck. No, this, this, this particular weekend, he got a hat trick. He came off the bench and scored a hat trick. Um, and it just coincided with the weekend that Rangers were playing Motherwell. This guy absolutely fucking hates Motherwell. Um, obviously, I, I that's his, and 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 obviously he is doing very well now that he's no longer the Rangers. Um, so we came up with the same team, which was a bit of a surprise, but that seems to be a trend with Michael Beale. Again, that's something that we probably may look at in the future because I don't agree with it, but it certainly seems to be his principle. We don't make changes at half time. We give the guys a chance to try and regroup and, and come into the game. Uh, as I say, I'm not a fan of it. If if it needs change, it needs change regardless of what minutes on the clock or, or, or what, what time in the game we're at. But nonetheless, Bill shows why he's a Rangers manager and I'm not because in the 47th minute, Tavernier puts a quality ball in, Fashion Sakala scores only a goal that Fashion Sakala scores because he does a complete... <laughs> I don't know if it's a 180 or a 360 or, you know, a 720, but um, it, it just does this mad spin in the air. The ball almost hits off the back of his head and it's 2-1 to the Angels and uh, we're back in front. What a ball for Tav. A, a brilliant, again, Tav gets a lot of heat and I think 99% of it's unfair. That's what he brings to the team. They're your two one ahead as a result of your captain and right back. Brilliant ball, right on to the opposite side of the back of Sakala's head. Like he'd, <laughs> if he'd heated it with the front or the side closest to the goal or even if it came off the back of his head. But as you say, he does this kind of spin thing and it fucking comes off one of the corners he's not. He's just, that's sums the guy up, doesn't it? Yeah, and Rangers in front. Um, and then about uh, five to seven minutes later, Todd Cantwell plays this beautiful ball through, defence splitting ball, Antonio Cholak's homing in and goal, and Fasten Sakala's at the back post for literally a tap-in, and Cholak takes it on himself. I don't mind him taking it on himself if he gets it in target. Even if he doesn't score, if he gets it in target, I can see why he's had a terrible game. He's thinking to himself, hey, I'm going to redeem myself here. I'm going to play my way back into this game by getting, hopefully grabbing a goal. And Dave, I think he hit somebody in Rose Ed. Um, I have to say, I was absolutely fucking fuming at this. I really, really was. As I say, not so much that he took the shot on, because if he took the shot on and it was a decent enough shot, even if, even if he didn't score, I would have understood it more. But then when you see Sakala's position, uh, it's just greedy, it's lazy, it's selfish. 
And uh, I noticed actually, obviously, Sakala was absolutely human. Watch the highlights back in YouTube or the SPFL's official YouTube um, channel. They don't have commentary. Uh, so it's a kind of, you're watching the game highlights without any commentary. So you can hear a lot of stuff that's happening in the park. You actually hear Sakala scream at him. But what I'm more interested in is the reaction of James Tavernier, who's right behind him. Tavernier runs right over to him and basically tells him that's not fucking on because Cholak has chosen not to finish the game by not giving the ball to Sakala. Um, an absolutely abysmal decision by Cholak. And it's some, well, I was going to say it summed up his day. His day's about to get summed up in the next five minutes on this podcast because he actually has an even worse moment after this. But I, uh, Dave, I was not happy for <laughs> Not fucking raging for me. Football any level, level I played it, level I coach it. I'm in a group chat with boys I played football with. Everybody was unanimous who I spoke to. It was a get them straight off moment. Team first all the time. You you can't do that when the game's in the balance. See if we were four one up and it was the last minute. It's forgivable. See if we're four two up and it doesn't the last minute. Forgivable. See the fact that the game is still in the balance. We know, and we'll come back to this. Motherwell score with every chance they create against us. Even chances they don't fucking create because they get one two minutes later for a chance that wasn't really they're doing. You roll that into Sakala, tap in, game's done, start getting them going. We can think about the international break, hunky dory, and he, he takes on a chance that he's absolutely no right to take on. Morelos is quite guilty of that sometimes as well. The angle's closing, but I think Alfredo maybe even had the presence I mean to cut that back. At first, it looks like it's on, and then he delays and delays and delays, and the angle's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. By the time he hits it, He's expected goals off it is in the fucking minus because Kelly's out and there's no ways getting it through him. It's unfor it's it's unforgivable in a match. He should have been board up right off, no good enough. You can't put yourself first in that situation. I was absolutely fuming because I knew they were going to get a chance and I knew the game wasn't done yet. Mm -hmm. And I'm no surprised Sakala and Tav were going after not because it's like I say, as close to unforgivable on a pitch as you can get. Yeah, and as you say, a couple of minutes after that, Muller will get a corner. Uh, I'll run through the events of this corner. The ball's in the air, and Lundstrom tries to head it back for McGregor to pick up, but he doesn't actually look to see the position of McGregor, and he just heads it straight out. So under literally no pressure at all, the ball goes out for a corner. The corner gets swung in. There's a header by a Rangers player. Falls to a Rangers player. I think it was Tavernier. Tavernier tries to clear it. It then falls to the feet of Cholak, who then tries to spin and his own box to get away from the man he's unable to do so so he then proceeds to try and shield the ball waiting for someone else to come and clear it but in doing so shielding the ball I think he's unaware that Beavis Mugabe uh, what a fantastic name that is by the way um, Beavis Mugabe is literally right behind him and he pokes the ball home and it's two each to uh, I was about to say it's two each to Motherwell it's two each on the day at the moment and went from having a simple tap-in to make it 3-1 game over to it's now 2-2 and it's game on again and we're now looking down the barrel of their own points and it all came from the actions of one man. Well, I'm saying it came from the actions of one man. Obviously, Lundstrom, um, this isn't an agenda against Lundstrom. I'm just literally telling what happened. Lundstrom made the initial mistake, but we still had a chance to obviously regroup and, and, and clear the danger. The clearance for Tav wasn't, uh, wasn't too clever either. But even at that, Chol actually just booted the ball out for a throw-in. Because I, I get what he was trying to do. He was trying to turn his body to obviously clear it up the field. But if you have not got the opportunity to do that, or the space to do that, you just get it to fuck and then you regroup. We, we do the post-mortem after the, the event. Um, but instead, he, he's, he's trying to shield the ball and McGabby's came in and stole it and made it to each. Um, at, at this point, Dave, I'm, I, I, I'm just, I, I'm raging. I'm raging. Like, I am shouting at my telly, get him off. I again a slight Canadian box bad decision I can kind of forgive it Lundstrom is guilty of sometimes a selfishness for me where he does that thing where he pulls players back and gets booked that to me is very selfish you're putting yourself first so you don't look like a fucking idiot Lundstrom just makes a bad decision it's one of many and it's sloppy it's a black mark in his column but it's no unforgivable even Cholak you're like right okay fair dues right see if you scored five minutes before we don't think anything yet but the fact that you have just sort of been responsible for a, a two-point swing in the space of five minutes is putting yourself squarely in the crosshairs of guys like us who love to criticise and I, I human, human at the stupidity, the laziness, 
the poor decision making and the fact that it's the same guy, wrong place, wrong time in the second one for me, right? You can't really hold it against him. But in the moment, you're just fuming at another weak goal conceded. And I looked at the stats earlier, it depends where you look. Motherwell have scored something like six goals for the last nine shots in target against us. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. And that is in itself a significant problem for us as a club yeah. in terms of personnel, challenges, whatever else. They yeah. seem to be the bogey club. They, they, when they're in our box, they just turn into fucking Cedric Hitton and Sakala against them. <laughs> just scores for anything. They're well, only chances. Thankfully, uh, as much as the bogey club in terms of goals conceded against them, we do always tend, or, or more often than not, we always end up uh, scoring more goals than them on the particular day anyway, which was the case here because three minutes after we conceded, a ball was played in from the left by Sakala. It did look offside. We will come it up. It kind of ricochets about. Cholak has a shot. Uh, I think it was blocked or either saved. It then falls to Tav, um, who then has a shot, and it is saved by Kelly. And the ball then lands to Todd Cantwell. And by the way, I don't think he gets enough credit for this. Now, I love Todd Cantwell, so I'm obviously going to you know big him up here. But really, I'm being serious when I say this. I don't think he gets enough credit for this finish because Kelly has sort of made himself big. So he's only really got one place to aim for, which is above Kelly. Pretty much top corner, if you will. And that's exactly where it puts it. It's a fantastic first goal for Cantwell. His place certainly deserved it on the day. He looked as if he absolutely loved it. Um, He's loving life at Rangers, let's be honest. Rangers are 3-2 up. Cantwell's got his first goal. We're now looking to either shut the game down or kill the game off. We've got away with one because obviously Motherwell came back into it. Um, But no one's caring because we're 3-2 up. It then goes to VAR. You see it in the TV and you're like, hmm... It was his knee, I think, or his foot uh, that, that was. It looked just ahead, Dave. We then have it clarified uh, on commentary that if the lines um, meet or overlap, it goes in the, the benefit of the striker. The lines certainly did meet or overlap. Um, and by the way, incidentally, they didn't for the, the Mullerwell goal. Uh, so that's why it was given. Uh, that's why, that's the, the VAR justification for the goal being awarded that the, the lines obviously overlapped ever so slightly which means that obviously the benefit is to the striker um, but as you say that uh, Motherwell vlogger if you will his video uh, or his footage was right in front of the play where Sakala played the ball in and I've seen it myself he fucking looked a mile on side and I'm just thinking to myself was this the same you know passage I play it was it was unbelievable the difference between this this lad's footage and then the actual still frame, it really, I, I couldn't believe the difference, really. So it just shows you that there must be some sort of, I don't know, uh, like some sort of slant going across that that mother, that Firth Park park, because the line, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it, although it's straight, it's obviously curving off because of the way the park is laid out, or maybe because of the way the park's sort of kind of, there must be like a, Help me out here, Dave. <laughs> well, there is a there is a slope on the park. I was sitting looking at my daughter and she said, Why is that fucking park a fun angle? Because you can see the seats start to rise. So they all, the stadium already fucking in two different directions. It, it, the lines in the grass, I think it's a perspective thing more than anything. I just think it's the position of the camera throws the perspective off. You raise an interesting point there where could clubs, defensive clubs, right? Motherwell know they're going to be under the pump against us. So could they cut the lines of their grass to fucking make it look, to make it look as if more offsides? I don't know. They could. That's going to sound mental. Somebody's going to clip that and put it on Twitter and think it. I think I've said that right. Theoretically, it's possible, but I think it's just where the cameras are positioned and it throws the perspective off absolutely completely. To take an extreme example, see if you're at Hamden and you're sitting anywhere inside the stadium, you, you see a different game for your mates who are watching in the house. The perspective because of the shite sight lines are all over the place and you just, you go home and you watch it. You, I go home for Hamden if I'm doing the front, watch a different game back. Recently, I've not really watched them back to be fair, right? But you get the point. Um, I think it's just a perspective for that, where the camera is and then where that boy is because he's ahead of the play. Yeah. And the camera is obviously ahead of the play on the other side more and it just throws that line out and he looks a mile on and the, yeah. uh, the Gogsy footage, but a mile off. I, I left the room and discussed him back in the and fucking I thought, right, that's offside because he's looking at the line. I'm raging him. He's looking at the line. He's fucking offside. Fucking hell's the car. And I came back out and our beautiful Todd had been granted his first goal. 
So absolutely delighted. But I do think it's just a perspective thing. And the average fan is going to keep criticising, keep getting the system heat until they get the camera issue remedied one way or the other, whether it's big gantries or cranes outside the stadium or whatever fucking drones or that back cam we had in Europe last year. They need something that is able to give you a relatively consistent perspective the way you get in England and Spain. It's very hard to find a, a decision now down there that is contentious. Maybe it's contentious the way the lines are drawn, but the perspective is always bang on. Yeah. Um, after Rangers go 3-2 up, Bill makes a double substitution. Sakal and Cholak are withdrawn. Tillman and Morelos come on. Um, and then the ball is played into Alfredo Morelos, who spins inside, gets his head up, sees Malik Tillman on the edge of the box, plays a beautiful ball to him. Tillman takes a touch and then puts it into the top corner. Another quality finish. Uh, Morelos, this is going to sound agenda-driven, and I really don't care. Morelos does more in three minutes than Cholak done in the whole game by actually getting his head up, spinning, playing his man in, and then his man having the finish, killing the game. It's 4-2, and it's game over at this point. They've um, probably the pick of the goals of the afternoon, this one, for me. In terms of the finish, yeah, it's a fucking beautiful hit for Tillman. He gets everything behind it, and it rocks in the top corner. As you said earlier, You've gone the distance, you're 3-2 doing, you think, right, OK, we can maybe sneak another corner and get a chance. And all of a sudden, you've got a Colombian international and a American international who are among Rangers' two best players coming on fresh to just fucking torture you. So, aye, I'm glad that that goes in your favour. But what a finish. And it's, again, numbers and all the rest of it. Tillman just keeps adding to reasons we should go for me. So does Morelos. Um couple more substitutions. Arfield was on for Yilmaz, uh, Suter came on for Lundstrom, and uh, Kamara came on for Cantwell. Um, I'll do what I have a quick chat about Suter. We'll have a quick chat about Cholak Morelos, but we'll finish off the game with Slattery being sent off for a second yellow card because he put his arm across the face of Todd Cantwell. Again, Dave, a lot of debate about this. Cantwell's a diver, blah, blah, blah. So I'll give you my take on it, right? Do I think he went down a wee bit for... Um, Theatrically, yeah, I do. I do. I don't think I don't think I can deny that as such. Uh, I don't. It was, it was a bit of an overreaction. Um, but however, was Todd Cantwell struck in the face by Slattery? Yes, he was. So even if he didn't go down, Slattery is still going off because it's a yellow card. It's not a red card offence. I don't think there was enough force in it to be a red card, but it certainly is a yellow card. You put your arm up into an opponent's face, whether it's to protect the ball or to get leverage, you're going to be yellow-carded regardless if the player goes down or not. Um, and it's a second bookable offence and he's off the park. Very little protest by the player, by the way. And yet the narrative is Todd Cantwell is a diver. Right, he's no dived. He's been hit in the face. Did he go down with a wee bit of the theatrics? As I said, I think he has. Whether that's harsh or not, I don't know, right? But... He was struck in the face, and it's it's a second booking up, bookable offence. And um, Dave, I think it's the biggest compliment that I can give Todd Cantwell that Celtic fans are calling for him to be um, suspended for the next couple <laughs> of games for simulation, because it's certainly no simulation. It's theatrics. It's no simulation, because at the end of the day, the fact of the matter is it is, is, it is right there in front of you. He was struck in the face. Now, Dickie Foster called it an embarrassment, um, brought Tyson Fury into the argument. Um, this is Motherwell's Ricky Foster, by the way, head of coaching Ricky Foster. Imagine being coached by that dick. What could he teach you, seriously, how to be a hipster? Um, he gave it to Cantwell absolutely tight on sports scene. Now, I, I don't give them too much, you know... Legitimacy, I really didn't, I couldn't give a fuck about him, but the fact that it's Ricky Foster, I, I will go on heavy here. Who the fuck does he think he is when he's coming away with stuff like that, when it's a clear second bookable offence, regardless of the reaction with Cantwell, and how does he get away with saying this as a Motherwell employee? The guy's just a dick. Dave. <laughs> it's hard to get it. He's just been a... a... Great number of players that I dislike intensely who've pulled on their jersey in the last 10, 15 years. And I'm ashamed to say I quite liked Ricky Foster in his first spell. I thought he was quite good. But since then, he's just been a source of sort of unending embarrassment as a human being, as a player, as a pundit. 
I mean, he's a fucking roastery a pundit. Terrible football player. The whole hipster sort of gimmick thing, just, it's not my thing, right? If you're listening to this and that's what you're into, dress sense why he's the big stupid specs and the third one's not. Fair play, I'm too old to judge you, right? But it's not for me. The guys are fucking ready in every respect. And as you should think, is, I, I was talking about Mel on Twitter, I think you were involved in the conversation. It dawned on me that I actually prefer Michael O'Halloran to Ricky Foster. If I was to choose one of the two, go for a pint with it's Michael Halloran every day, and he's da every day of the week. Then that <laughs> fucking roaster. <laughs> and nice. honestly, if you Michael Allen's pretty much the benchmark for me, right? And that if you're below him in my 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 scale, you need to take a look at yourself. But back to his actual comments, we can we could. Celtics, Japanese players, throw themselves to the deck in all manner of theatrical fashion. And, oh, poor wee Hitati and poor wee Kyogo, they're so lightweight, they're getting bullied about up here. Pick a week, and there's a guaranteed dive for one of the two. And Kyogo particularly is quite sly about it, and he seems to get some of the rough stuff because he's gimmick now. As you say, there's contact in the face, he pulls away from the contact, maybe expecting it to end up worse than it is. You know, you flinch and try and get away. Goes down. Does he sell it? Of course he does. It's modern football. And I'm not particularly happy about it. And if it goes against us, I'll be ranting and raving about it. But it does go against this. Earlier in the season, Morelos did the exact same thing. We trying to feel for Porti, I think it was, at Easter Road, the two-all yeah. draw. And he mm. brushes his face and then he goes again to try and get a mere grip him on the shoulder and hits him and it's a red card. No debate. Oh, it's Morelos. He's a fucking wee dafty. That's his game. That's what he's like. He's that kind of boy. And it's a red card that passes. It's this manufactured outrage to try and get an agenda and a narrative going. So that's it now. Cantwell's a diver. The media, mm-hmm. the law run it now, and his every move will be scrutinised. And the last thing, as we've said at length in this podcast, is Todd Cantwell is soft. And Todd Cantwell's the fucking hardest guy I've seen on that team for a considerable amount of time. I was, in terms you know, of his tenacity. I'm, I'm, I'm no long back for uh, my best mate's house, and obviously he's a obviously a Celtic fan. And Cantwell was brought up as a topic of conversation. And he's, he actually said that. He said they can't wait to see Callum McGregor getting about Cantwell because it's it's going to be a slugfest. And I just turned around and went, ah, it's got to be a slugfest for Cantwell because you have no idea. It's like when I had the exact same opinion, I said that to him, I, was like, I had the exact same opinion as you before Cantwell wore a Rangers jersey. And I'm telling you right now, that's a boy that I wouldn't like to go on a 50-50 with. And he just was not for having it. He's like, no chance. I was like, just you wait. Just you wait. You will see what I mean because this is not a boy you fuck with. And do you know something? I came to the opinion that that's why he's such a weirdo because nobody... <laughs> Don't you talk about my Todd like that? <laughs> he's fucking my Todd. Um, right. Nobody in their right mind is going to challenge this boy. Like, did you see his Instagram post today? today? He's singing that. I saw it with the audio. Right, you're not gonna, you're not gonna go up to him and go, Todd, that's just a bit weird, mate, because he'd fucking knock you out. The first time he did it at Ibrox, he got on, he was pulling and hauling on the back of somebody, and he was trying to kick them and trip them up, and I thought, he's lost the fucking heat, he's, there's 10 minutes into his debut, and he's lost the heat, what's going on here? And then I just realised that's what he's like, he just wants the ball back, and he doesn't care who he has to kick or maim or hurt to get it, so they can start this agenda all they want, Cantwell's, for me, one of the, the, the most tenacious guys in the league, and any Celtic fan expecting him to get marauded over by their midfield is in for a fucking rude awakening. And did they go down easy? Aye, part and parcel of the game. Sell it, get your team a man advantage. Everybody does it. But Rocky Fister doesn't always have an opinion on it. So, aye. But it's who, just another agenda setting moment for him. In the, last, in the last decade, Dave, who was the best at it? The best at selling stupid aye. things. Oh, oh, well, we all know who that is, of course, don't we? It's the... This the hero of sports scene is somebody who would be beyond criticism for them, Scott Brown. Exactly, exactly. And there wasn't many complaints then, was there? And do you know nope. something? We we all said we we don't respect Brown as the person, but everyone is deep down said that's exactly what we need. And now we've got it. They fucking hate it. Aye, lost count the amount of times Brown got up to absolute nonsense like that. The thing we can is the one after Tatum Heed. There was one last season at Aberdeen. Where yeah. he goes down and gets Kent sent off again. Even with Morelos at Parkhead, when Morelos gets sent off after like twenty five minutes, I mean Morelos was it was uh, you know right on the right on the line that that Brown uh, casted out. Of course he was, but I mean 
He went down as if he'd been shot, and then he got up and he was giving it all the laughing because Brown got him exactly where he wanted him, and there was nothing said about that. In fact, it was all they were all loving it. You know what I mean? And now there's a player here in a Rangers jersey who's potentially going to be the exact same, if not worse. I hope he fucking is worse. And it's now always oh, a diver. He's a cheat. It's pathetic, and it's as I say, the narrative around Todd Cantwell is he's soft. He's this wee weird guy. He's no built for this league, and he's now a cheat. And a lot of people are going to be eating their words because Todd Cantwell is the best player that's ever played for Rangers, in my opinion. <laughs> I well, the only the only fucking downside for us is that we'll no need to listen to this for long because Todd Cantwell is destined for bigger things. Yeah, he is, but you know, I'm going to enjoy. Let's him. just let's just enjoy this. And now he's added shit house in his game. Let's just yeah. save every second. I absolutely love him. I could do a pod, two-hour pod, just talking about Todd Gantley, no problem, by the way. Oh, that's, that's happening. <laughs> Next international break. <laughs> um, so Rangers get three points uh, up the road, three points on the board. The gap remains at nine. This must be the longest period where the gap has not decreased or increased in a very, very long time. So that tells you a lot of things. That tells you where Rangers and Celtic are at, and that tells you where the rest are at. Um, and it also very sadly for Rangers, probably tells you that as each passing week goes by, it becomes more and more unlikely because we're running out of games now. But it could put us in good stead for next season. But we will, obviously, there's still a lot of football to be played between now and the end of the season. A couple of talking points, Dave. First one I want to bring up is John Suter. John Suter came on and went three at the back. We played wing-backs. Very interestingly, Ryan Kent went to left wing-back, but I don't know why I read too much into that just now. I think that was just uh, horses for courses at that point. Um, Suter receives the ball, steps into midfield, takes a touch, looks, plays the most beautiful ball I've seen in a long time that a defender's played, right into the feet of Fredo Morelos, absolutely splits the defence open. Morelos should have done better, he didn't, but the the ball itself, I I, I do want to give a wee bit of um, airtime to that, purely because that's what Suter's going to bring. People are so against this feet the back thing but I, I think you're included in that Dave um, I think you're looking at it from a very simplistic point of view no I'm calling you simple you're looking at Rangers don't need three defenders at the back I, the way I see it is the way John Suter can play and with John Suter's ability if he stays fit it won't be three at the back because John Suter will give us an extra midfield option because he's so good at stepping into the midfield he's so good at picking a pass that we can actually utilise that more than for example John Lundstrom who will only pass to the side or to the back Whereas Suter's always gets head up looking to get the ball forward, stepping in. He's got the physicality and the physique as well. And free the back for me is a must. And I can't wait to see it happen because if we play goals and Tav, eh, sorry, goals and Davis Suter at the back with the three defenders, and then you get Tav and Barisic as the wing backs, and then obviously you you have Raskin and Cantwell and Tillman, eh, Ken and and Morelos kind of doing their thing up there, and Suter's giving us that extra option to get a ball forward, and and we're leaving goals and, and Davis at the back. But we're not only leaving solidity at the back, but we're adding a wee bit more finesse into the midfield. And that's the thinking behind it. It's not to shut off games. It's not to be more defensive. In a way, it's actually to be more attacking. And John Suter, in that one moment, showed why I think it will work so well. Because it was a quality ball, it was a quality bit of play, and it was a quality bit of vision from a defender. Oh, I, I completely disagree. All I'm hearing there is we need somebody with forward passing ability to play that role. For me, that's Raskin. If you think about it, you've got three players who've got Davies, Suter, Goldson in your back three, right? They're just physically a wee bit more limited in terms of nimbleness, turning circle, fucking kind of key attributes on the ball. You're taking out an attacker one way or the other for them, and you're taking out a guy like Raskin who can get about the park. If it's a choice between Suter and Lindstrom, right, maybe, but for me, a back two we're asking. See when we were see we won the league, the formation was basically a sort of two five. And that's the way we're getting back to now if you look at the average positions. You've got your twos or two centre halves. Your five across the middle becomes the two fullbacks are basically playing as wide midfielders. You've got your three in the middle, which was Jack, Davy, Davis and Kamara. And then you've got three attackers. So you've effectively got then what like seven guys in the other team's off. If you take it the middle midfielder, which at the time was Davis, or now would be Raskin, you're losing their attacking ability and gaining a wee bit of forward impetus. I, I just get for that reason, I would rather have guys on the park where it might pay dividends is in tighter games or 
Europe where against Celtic, for instance, you do want somebody who's got the defensive chops to drop in and sit and sweep up or play and play behind the lines, particularly with Furuhashi running about. You want somebody who can who can maybe fully him about and play a wee bit as a sweeper. But for me, in the majority of games, it's a nice thing to have up the sleeve, depending on the way the game's going. But as a starting position, particularly at home, it's for me just a massive non-starter. I take your point. I, I just think that putting all the pressure on Raskin to be the one and only guy to get that ball forward when you can have another option and so on. Well, that, that's it, right? That for that, then for me, it comes to a personnel issue. Raskin should have an, a, a competent backup, and transfer-wise, we should be looking to move Lindstrom on. But you need somebody who's who is that Raskin-esque guy who runs about getting on the ball, kind of Barry Light is what we need in that role, and we need a new Raskin Light because we've got Raskin. But for the majority of games, I, I think it's one of these things. It's a bit. I can, I'm surprised you're. It's one of these kind of hipster tactical type things. I'm surprised you're isn't it since you're the kind of no, opposite always, of that. I've always, I've always felt that was the way forward. I just, so, a couple but, of observations for me on it is that Atletico Madrid played at my second team and it it never really went very well and it coincided with a fairly dismal sort of 18 months trying to shoehorn it in and it never worked. Where it did sort of pay dividends when they'd done it was uh, Carrasco, who is similar to Kent in a lot of respects, he's a ball carrier, gets forward into the box, does his best work running at people, played as a wing-back and starting for a deeper position seemed to help him because he then had the freedom of the entire flank and he could get up and down and it was he could flip between the winger and the mid the defender as his marker. And we can't, particularly under Gio, was forced high and wide. He was just in a box. It gave Carrasco a bit of freedom. I think the way you're looking at it is you need to deduct an attacker to obviously bring in an extra defender. But I actually, I just don't see it like that because I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. The, the, the one guy who you would sacrifice with three at the back would be a John Lundstrom because the way I would do it would be the three at the back, the two wing-backs, so it would be three-two. And then I would have Raskin as a one and then I would have the three in front of Raskin, and then obviously the one up front. So effectively, it would be a three-two-one-three-one, um, because we don't need the two sitting midfielders because the John Suter would be stepping into midfield to be that cover anyway. And right now, the way we've been playing is we we constantly have the two sitting midfielders, whether it's Lundstrom and Jack or Jack and Raskin or Kamara and Jack, or you you know what I mean. And it's one of them that would be sacrificed rather than your I- Kent. Sakala can't well well. Like I say, for me it's a personal thing and it'll come down to Suter's ability to execute that type of work. The guy I thought would have been ideal for it, I thought was tailor-made, was George Edmondson. He was a bit more mobile and could probably have got away with playing as a midfielder. I don't know if Suter's maybe got enough about him to play as a midfielder. His, his mobility, that, that remained to be seen for me. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but... Uh, just just one piece of quality is... If, if that's not a one-off and that's going to be a continuous theme from John Suter, just and I know I'm basing that literally on just one through ball, it could have been a, it could have been a fluke. I get that, but if that's his style of play, because we're we're still not accustomed to to John Suter's style of play because of the, the lack of appearances from him, but if that is the way he's going to play it, that's why I think it would work. I mean, if it's Golson Davis and uh, I don't know, I don't want to say okay. Alan. King, King aye, if it's Golson, Davis and King, it's not going to work. Um, if it's Golson, Davis and Hollander, it would work because Hollander was quite good at stepping into midfield, but we're never going to see him again. But aye, Golson, Davis, King, three at the back, that's not going to work. But with John Suter's ability to step in, have a presence and can pick a pass, I, I'm willing to give it a chance because uh, I, I actually think, I, I do agree with you as well, that we probably would get more success from that against Celtic and I think that the what game first is it the league game? Ah, it's the league game. I think the league game, Parkhead, free to back, I think that's what I think that's the way he's gonna go, mate. I really do. So buckle in. <laughs> I'd be surprised if we started with it, but as I say, I think it's like uh, well, it's good to have options eventually. Um, finally, sorry. Um, well, exactly, because one of the criticisms we all had of Bill and Gerard, I've done it again. Bill wasn't the manager. One of the criticisms with Gerard is the t- rigidity. We were too rigid. We stuck to one game plan. Well, actually, we if you remember, Motherwell's quite apt. They actually went three at the back against Motherwell at the very, very start of their reign. Uh, the three each game where Kyle Lafferty scored two, and it was just a fucking disaster. Do you remember that game? Yes, I do now you mention it. Aye. They went 3-5-2 they went and never went back to it again. So, yeah. I God, fuck, I forgot about that. Maybe I don't want that anymore. <laughs> um, no, there's, there's better players that I brought. Now. Um, one last thing I want to talk about is uh, 
the Cholak Morelos debate now. Obviously, Michael Bale's been a wee bit kind of contradictory with his messages on Alfredo Morelos. He needs to do more than the following couple of days. Oh, he's absolutely spot on. He's been brilliant training. He's not a problem. Um, non-committal and wanting him to stay, but he's already committed to saying that he wants Kent and Jack to stay. So is this a standoff? I don't know. Put all that to the side and focus on the games that we have remaining because there's nothing we can do about the personnel within the building at the moment. What we have is what we need to go with until now and the end of the season. That's a fact. And in my humble opinion, just my opinion, I may be wrong, I may be proved wrong, or I could be right, but it's my opinion. We cannot go with Cholak in any of the big games between now and the end of the season. And there's very, there's three very, very big games uh, between now and the end of the season, and they're all against Celtic, and Cholak is not the man. If Cholak starts uh, against Dundee United at Ibrox next week, I'm fine with that. But Cholak absolutely cannot start any of the games against Celtic because his ineffectiveness to come deep, bring people into the game, and then get on the end of uh, a killer chance is, is just not there. Cholak, in order for Cholak to be effective, he needs to... Eventually, effectively, it needs to be Chris Boyd not get involved in any of the, the build-up. Just stay in that penalty area and wait for that ball to arrive. And that, that can't happen against Celtic. Um, and if you're going to ask Cholak to perform the Morelos role, because that's what it is, um, he can't do it. He just simply can't do it. It's not for a lack of trying. It's it's a lack of technical ability. And that's not criticism, because Cholak... I said this, it was weird. Cholak was doing my nothing for the 60... It was at 65 minutes he was on the park, Dave. He was doing my fucking nothing. We then go 4-2 up, the game opens up, and Morelos has about three chances. And I actually tweeted it. If Cholak was on, we would have seven goals by now, because he would have took those chances. But because the game wasn't open when Cholak was on the field, ineffective and... The way forward now is Morelos. It simply has to be. Now, we all have our opinions on Morelos, unprofessional and this and that and this and that. Forget it. He still remains the best at the club at the present moment. It's inarguable for me that he's the best striker at the club and will be until we find a replacement. I mean, I when he came on, it, again, every time there's such a lift to him coming on, changes game, could have got the goals, but I think his, his work rate was probably more influential than Cholax would have been in creating the chances. And I, we've got to find a way of just getting him in the team and keeping him in the team and keeping his head in the game the new while we've still got him. And as I say, I made my thoughts clear the other night in the hope that we can still the outside chance we can possibly turn his head back. Well, that remains to be seen. I remain hopeful. I, I would, I would keep him a hundred percent. I really, really would. Uh, but I get, I get why there is such a debate around him through the conditions and all that. But it's, it's you know. Dave, not to defend the lad, because I, obviously I'm going to defend him because I absolutely love him to bits, but he had a six-month injury. First time he'd ever in his life been injured for that length of time, and we still hold him to the same standards pre-injury, yet we're quite happy for Yanis Adji to come in and just run about the park getting minutes in his legs because we know that it's a serious injury he had, but Morelos isn't given that luxury, and I think now, what I, is, there is no doubt about it. The last couple of months, that is starting to get back to the real Morelos. His form's been good since Bill came in. His form pre-Bill, obviously under Gio, aye, it was bad, it was poor, but he's recovering from a fucking really, really bad injury, you know what I mean? Which effectively was due to burnout. He was burnt out. He was overused. He wasn't given that break. And as I say... We're more soft on Haji because, and this is nothing against Yanis Haji, by the way, but we, we understand he had a serious injury. He's not going to come on the part to make things happen. He's going to go on the part to get minutes in his legs. Yet when Morelos was coming back straight away, we're expecting him to hit the goals and change games. And, and that perception of Morelos, early season Morelos, has sort of, for me, fed into the Morelos we now have. Even although he's still, he's actually in really, really good form um, in terms of goals and assists. Aye, you had the nail on the head there for me that we hold him to the standard of the old Morelos. We should have been looking to try and get him back fit earlier but now it's got to be, it should be about next season and getting him back in the team fully and all things being equal, I'd love to start again building the team around about him. He needs to, I said it last week, he needs to grow up, we need to be a bit more sensible but from now to the end of the season for me the bigger games it's got to be him because Cholak if he's having an off day offers nothing Morelos is still a nuisance on an off day so Aye, uh, Morelos is the first name in my team sheet in that department. 
Absolutely. Um, yep, yeah, and that, that 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 concludes everything that we need to talk about. As I said, it is international break, and we will have a sort of kind of special next week. Um, hopefully there'll be two or three pods dropping next week because we've got a few things lined up. I don't want to divulge too much just in case anything falls through, but hopefully there'll be two or three, two too many pods in an in-depth pod uh, dropping over the international break just to kind of keep your your Rangers um, appetite wet. Um, all that remains for me to do is, as I always do, ask you to follow, subscribe or like us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Amazon Music. We're on the lot. Wherever you have a social media presence, we will probably be there. So any likes, subscribes uh, or follows on, on any of these platforms is very much appreciated. And uh, Dave, thanks to you, mate. Um, it was a fairly positive uh, podcast. I think the only thing that we really got stuck into was Ricky Foster, and that's very much justified in my book any day of the week. Yeah, oh, absolutely, man. We could do a deep dive on that fucking Nimrod. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm doing a dissertation now. I could fucking probably do a dissertation and still like <laughs> a prick. Um, but I, that, I hopefully never need to speak about him on this podcast again because he really rails me up, man. I've always, even his first spell, I was like, who is this character? And the second spell was just. I don't know why I talk about it. I always, I always remember us saying somebody taught me it's like if you if you don't know who the asshole in the room is, it's you. <laughs> if you if you manage to be the biggest fucking roaster on a couch with Michael Stewart and Stephen Thompson, you need to seriously reevaluate your life, man. Yeah, um, can't put it any better myself. So on that point, um. Thank you to the, uh, you, the listener, and we will be back next week during the international break, hopefully with two or three pods, so keep your eyes peeled for that on all the kind of social media platforms, and we'll talk to you then. Thanks.